I used to confuse the feeling full after overeating with fat. Like in my head, it turned from full to fat. There was a switch and it just went like that. It wasn't about being full anymore. Content in the stomach, which is what it was. It was, I am fat. And isn't that interesting how that pops into your head in a split second? It's not even close to being true. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks. Two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome Susan Niebergall. Hey, you guys. Great to see you. So good Glad to see to you. Glad to have you here. So good to see you. I, like, I, when Iris is like, we have Susan, I'm like, yes. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Susan is, I think, safe to say, one of the most influential people in both of our fitness journeys as part of the Site Fitness Center Circle and just everything that she brings to the fitness space, as they call it. So <laughs> I appreciate that. It's true, though. Why don't we start out with you telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm Susan, um, co-coach in the Site Fitness Inner Circle with Jordan. And I got into this whole fitness thing years ago from being a gym rat. And if we rewind even before that, I was a gym rat early on. Like I've been in and out of a gym since probably I'm trying to put a year to this, like maybe the early 90s, late 80s, something like that. And I was always a yo-yo dieter. I was that person that had lost 50 pounds with Jenny Craig back in the day, then yo-yoed various amounts of 50 pounds for the next several decades, you know, because I never truly learned what was going on with Jenny Craig. And, you know, I look back at that now and think, yeah, I was probably eating ridiculously low amounts of food. Thousand calories is a guess, probably. I was hungry all the time. I didn't learn how many calories, the portions, protein. I didn't learn anything. Just that I ate this little bitty tray of food and then I lost all this weight. So on the surface, it sounds great. The problem is when you don't learn anything, you don't know how to maintain any kind of loss like that, you know, as you guys know. So the next several decades, I would have periods where I didn't eat very much and I would lose some of that weight. And then I would gain a bunch of it back and more. And then we, I just went back and forth because the only thing I knew how to do was not eat much, you know. And as we all know, that for a big picture is not a good plan. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not ultimately going to work. So, you know, through this time, I was working with some trainers in the gym, started really loving learning how to lift. And, you know, like everyone else, I started with classes and then got a trainer at the gym. And then as I changed gyms, I would get a different trainer and really got into that. And it wasn't until probably my mid fifties where I finally got certified as a trainer, but I was still struggling with my own weight. And I was never obese, but I always had weight to lose, always had weight to lose, even from when I was a kid. And I still had that weight to lose even as a 50-something-year-old woman. And I decided at that point I wanted to hire a coach to help me with powerlifting. That was my goal at the time. So I hired Jordan as my one-on-one coach. And so that's how he and I started working together. And interestingly enough, you know, I didn't go to him for nutrition <laughs> because I thought 
I had kind of figured it out. I thought because a year or so before I started working with him, I had one of those moments and people say, what what was the moment for you that changed? And I think this is probably, I have several, but this is one of them. And it was a random day. I walk into the bathroom and literally look down at my belly and like, what the hell has happened to me? You know, I have, my belly was big. I felt like my face was round. I just couldn't lose weight. I was just, everything just came at that one moment. And I started, I was crying. I didn't know what to do. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, oh, it's menopause. That's what this is about. Uh, and at that moment, I felt such relief because I thought I'd figured this whole thing out because I was beating my head against the wall. Like I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong, why it wasn't working, thought I'd figured it out. So I'll just go to the doctor, get the test done. Okay, it's my metabolism, my thyroid, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get the medication. I'm going to have the medication. My life is going to change. Everything's going to make sense. And there I go. And I did the doctor appointment, had the blood work done. And the only difference in the story is she came back and said, your blood works fine. There's no medication needed for you. And so that was a really hard pill to swallow, you know, having to face that you've really don't have any other exit plan to blame this on anything other than yourself at this point. And facing the fact that you thought you were doing everything right for so long and you weren't is really hard. I mean, it's a it's a tough pill to swallow, but I started swallowing it a little bit and made small changes. And yeah, I did start seeing some results. So that's why when I got to Jordan, I thought, oh, I've got it all figured out, which I really didn't. But I started paying attention to everything that he put out and I read everything and did everything, became an, an inner circle member from the from the get-go also. And everything changed when I started working with him. I just started learning and started putting into practice so many things. And, you know, he had to help me, <laughs> comfort me, push me, make me do things that I was so super uncomfortable. But once I accepted, I didn't have to work out seven days a week. And I accepted that a calorie deficit doesn't have to be starving. And all those kinds of things, everything changes. Everything changed. And so th the cool thing is, fast forward to now, yeah, I've lost a substantial amount of weight. I've gained a bunch of muscle. And my message is, and, and you guys know this, my message is that it's just never too late to change this because I am no one special. People have come at me saying, you must have great genetics. Well, I'll tell you about my genetics. And it's full of obesity, <laughs> you know, and people, I think, want to point to genetics very quickly if they're struggling themselves. You know, because I don't know, Jordan and I were talking about this, I think, on his podcast, and it's like, he said this, and I, I never thought of it this way. You never see people point this out who've been super, super successful with something, you know? You never see that. But I get this a lot. Do I have some maybe five, six generations? I don't know, maybe. But none of that matters if you don't put in the work yourself anyway, you know? It, re it really doesn't make a difference. And I say all this because some people use that as a reason why they can't change something in their 50s or 60s or 70s or whatever. And the, it's all just baloney. So my mission, my what I want to, my message I want to get out to everybody is that it's just never too late to change, which is why I picked that as the subtitle of my book, because I truly believe that it's never too late to change whatever you want to change. And so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. I'm so glad you brought that up about genetics because I see that too sometimes. People will, like you said, they'll see somebody who maybe looks how they want to look or has been successful in these things and then just automatically go, genetics. They just have the genetics. Yep. I just don't. 
in reality, first of all, you have no idea if that's true. Yeah. And second of all, that is a massive amount of personal responsibility that you are completely ignoring. Yeah. I think it it comes from a place of being unhappy with your own it's it's like a projection, right? You're you're projecting your your feelings onto something else and I get it. It can be frustrating. It's not easy. It was not easy for me either. I'll be really honest. It wasn't easy at all. But once you get over the fact that it's not easy and you decide, well, okay, I'm you know what? I'm just going to try anyway. You know, once you get over that hurdle, well, then you're home free, right? You have burst through the first big hurdle in front of you. And that's the biggest. Once you get past that and you decide, okay, it's hard. This is not going to be easy, but I'm going to do it anyway. There you go. Now you're on your way. Mm -hmm. I was telling you about the Team BFF challenge before we started recording. And, and one of the main themes of that is, are you looking for problems or are you looking for solutions? Yeah. yeah. And you get to pick. And that is a huge amount of power that you have. And that doesn't mean that the solution is going to be easy, necessarily. There's ways to make it easier on yourself and ways to just make it completely ridiculous and unsustainable. But the fact remains that your outlook is in your control and the actions that you take are in your control, even if your genetics aren't, you know, going back to that, maybe you don't have the genetic lottery. So what? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And even in that case, that doesn't mean that you can never reach a goal or make progress, right? I mean, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't. It, it could be, especially if it's health related, you know, be aware of it. And, you know, part of mine with obesity is heart stuff. And I do have a heart issue now, although mine is very different than what runs in my family. And my doctors told me they're probably not necessarily connected, but could be. I don't know. Doesn't mean I can't do anything. I still do everything. You know, it. it's just a matter of your outlook. I think exactly what you said. It's your outlook and how, how you view everything. Mm-hmm. Just one more thing about genetics, and then we can move on if you want to. Um, but I think a lot of people, again, blame the genetics without looking at the other factors. Like, what was the food culture in your home growing up? What was your financial situation growing up? Yeah. Maybe you had cheap, highly processed foods that are very calorie dense and easy to overconsume. That plays a role in weight management yeah. and behaviors. Maybe you didn't have a family culture that prioritized protein or movement or vegetables or any of these things that, you know, consistently done will set you up for success in certain areas. And it's not necessarily genetics. It's just, it's this big messy picture that again, you can control what you do about it. hundred percent. How you look at it. Absolutely. There was something else in your story too, that you mentioned the only thing that you knew was that you ate little tiny meals and you lost weight. Yeah. Um, and there's a common theme that I know we all see that, well, I'm only eating this much and I'm still not losing weight or I'm in a calorie deficit and I'm not losing weight. I swear to you, I'm eating 1200 calories and I'm not losing weight no, or body ain't. fat. <laughs> no, you ain't. <laughs> no, you ain't is right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. So talk to us about that and this phenomenon of eating more and losing weight anyway. You know, th that whole eating more thing, in fairness, when I was first getting into this, I didn't understand what that meant. Like, how can you eat more? I did not understand 
that it wasn't about calories. It was finding those foods that are less calories that you can eat more of to make you feel, you know, so in theory, you're eating more. But I'm like, how are they eating more? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And I think, to be honest, people my age group probably think that way. I think that is a concept that is not all that easy to understand for some people. Once you understand it, it's great. But people that that swear they're eating 1,000, 1,200 calories and aren't losing weight, a lot of problems come up with this. And, and, and one of them is that people tend to eat foods that don't fill you up, right? And so because you never feel full, you don't feel like you're eating very much. And I think that plays a role too. I, I'm hungry all the time, you know. Well, because you're eating these calorie dense foods that have nothing to do with satiety. They're not going to help fill you up, feeling satisfied, all of that. That's one part of it. And then the other part of it is when you eat so few calories, you can only do that but so long. You know, I mean, we all could do that for a day, two days, whatever. I would I could do it maybe I don't even know if I'd do it for a day <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but I feel like people could do something like that for a handful of days, whatever. And then at some point, then you start reaching in for this nibble and that snack. And then, and then these little things that start getting more and more and more frequent. And then you get to the weekend and you're like, I deserve this weekend out. I deserve this brunch, lunch out and dinner out or whatever it is, you know, right? I deserve all of this because I was so good during the week. And then you go and do whatever you want to do on the weekends. And then you're back to 1,200 calories on Monday, feeling miserable because you just did this whole big weekend thing. And now you're back to 1,200 calories. And all you remember is the 1,200 calories. It's not even in your mind that you went off track for two or three days, right? You don't even think about that. You're thinking about how miserable you are. That's in the forefront. And that, and then you're thinking, how can I not be losing weight? I'm only eating 1,200 calories, you know? It's kind of our mind does these tricks on us. It, it's kind of like when you, when you give birth and it's painful, you, you don't remember that part, right? You no. don't remember that part, right? Because <laughs> if you did, there'd be a lot of only children in this, in this world, right? But that's what our mind does. It's kind of the opposite here. Now our mind is focused on this is the thing that's making me the absolute most miserable right now. And we don't remember the other part. We only remember this current, I'm so miserable. And of course you should be, right? Because that's certainly not enough calories to, to consume for most anyone. I mean, there would be maybe a small handful of people where that might actually be an appropriate number. But for most people, that's not appropriate. And, and it's frustrating to see people frustrated, truly believe that they have done everything. They truly believe that they have eaten so few calories and they truly believe that there's something special about them that a calorie deficit just won't work for them. You know, we've all said this, all three of us have said this, if you feel like you have an issue, a medical issue that could be interfering to such a degree where you can't lose weight, you need to get checked out. Because you're either going to say, find out, yeah, you got something and now you got to work with your doctor on a treatment plan and blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. Or you look yourself in the mirror and say, how can I improve this? How can I improve what I'm doing? Yeah, you have to have that real conversation with yourself and you have to come to terms with that, which that can be hard for a lot of people to have to look in the mirror and be like, oh, shit, I'm the problem. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's what I had to do. That's exactly what I had, what I had to, do. to do. 
Yeah, yeah I same. have to do, you know, it's self accountability. Mm-hmm. You can hire, you know, I've told friends this, like you can hire the best coach. You can get the best nutrition advice. You can get the best workout program out there. And if you're not being accountable and doing the things you need to do, you're still not going to see progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think people too, they don't like people that don't track what they're eating. They're guessing. All of these other things can play into this. And, you know, if you're not taking time out to learn about portions and to learn about quantity and the foods and the calories associated with that and the protein grams associated with that and all those kinds of things, you really, truly have no idea how much you're eating. You really don't. And there are people that probably out there saying, well, I know how to... No, you don't. (laughs) If you've never done it before, I think everyone should go through a period of tracking at some point in time and whatever length of time that period is, whatever, it can be up to the person, but that's how you educate yourself. And that's why Jenny Craig never worked for me because I didn't have that kind of education. And I feel like that education is so important for a sustainable way of living where you can control what you do. If you want to lose weight, you already know how to do that. If you want to put on some weight, you know, you can know how to do that. Because you have a basic knowledge about how food stuff works. But if you're kind of living in your own little bubble and you're just kind of guessing that this is eh, about this or this is eh, about that and you're struggling to reach your goal, you've got a lot of room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that stereotypical, you want to be depressed, weigh out your peanut butter Yeah. scenario, right? Because we don't know, we guess and we all suck at it. That's why we do it. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) There have been studies about this showing how much people underestimate. People don't know what they're eating. We guess and we're wrong is the point. (laughs) Yeah. No, we completely underestimate how much we're taking in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're we're thinking, oh, this probably only has 150 calories when it probably has 450. We all do that. And I think you can get better at it with the more experience you have in tracking and even weighing food and things like that. Sure. But yeah, I think as a general population, as humans, we, we suck at that. <laughs> and we always overestimate how consistent we're being with things. That's why tracking consistency is important, too. Tracking it consistently and not using it as a tool to judge yourself, right? It's just facts. It's like, okay, here I was consistent. Here I wasn't. I know I struggle around my period. I know I struggle on the weekends. Now what can I do? Again, look for solutions yeah. to see how I can approach this better. I think searching for solutions instead of problems, I think, you, as you said earlier, yeah, you'll find what you want to find, for sure. You will definitely find, if you're searching for a problem, you, you will certainly find it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Visual aid right there to show you what consistency is. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when I have clients use their consistency calendar, you recognize patterns. It's like, oh, it looks like every weekend they actually see the patterns that they're not really realizing that they're choosing. So I think what people forget is that your weekend is 30% of your week. Yeah. 30%. And that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And especially if you are, if you're not keeping track on anything on the weekends, it's so easy to eat thousands of calories and not even think about it. When you're out Mm -hmm. at a restaurant and you get drinks or an appetizer and, and, and an entree, maybe dessert too. I mean, thousands of calories <laughs> for a single meal, right? Not to mention if you're going for happy hours or brunch or whatever that people like to do on the weekends, right? It It's so easy to negate what you've done during the week. 
Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I always have a, like a little giggle when people say, oh, well eating, like if I set someone's initial calories and they're, you know, a new client, they're getting their strength training program. Then they get their nutrition email and they're like, um, that's too many calories. I'm never going to be able to hit that. And it's like, do you, are, are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if you think about it, just if you go to the cheesecake factory, their salads alone are like 1500 calories, a salad. Yeah. And so people don't always think about that. And I think a lot of that just comes from unawareness. Yeah. Because they're not tracking consistent. They're not tracking their calories consistently. Yeah. It's lack of awareness. And the fallacy that, well, a salad is healthy. Yeah. So it must, it must be good for weight loss. And that just reminds me, my mom, when she was alive, she would have these little things for breakfast. They were called breakfast biscuits. I don't remember the brand. I can see the package, can't remember the brand. But I was like, they're cookies. (laughs) But to her, they were breakfast biscuits because it said so on the package. No, Susan, they're breakfast biscuits. Okay. (laughs) Might have a cookie, but okay. Call them whatever you want to call them. People fall for stuff like that. They think Mm -hmm. salad and they think, oh, healthy. Well, salads can be very, very healthy, but salads can also be very calorically dense. It's it's hard to walk out of any restaurant under a thousand calories. Oh, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's impossible because you can do it. But even when restaurants give you calories, I would probably say add 25 percent to that because they're probably being little conservative and you never know who's doing the cooking, especially if there's oil involved in the cooking, you know, is the dude cooking tonight who just goes "Eh, eh," with the oil or is it "Eh," with the oil? You know, I mean, it depends because that could be several hundred calories difference in what what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It just goes back to awareness. Yeah, it's not a bad thing at all. It's just being and I always like to say being honestly aware because I think we try to believe our own bullshit a lot and we have to stop that we have to be honest with ourselves about what we're consuming there's nothing wrong with having one of those high calorie dense salads absolutely nothing as long as you are not thinking it's only 300 calories and you're good right that's a problem but if you know how many calories you're consuming you're okay with that great enjoy it have fun with it Mm-hmm. Last weekend, I was at a our best friend's wedding, and I talked about this on the podcast before because we were talking about timelines for fat loss and just my experience in like this big wedding, big, important life event was coming up and I'm in a fat loss phase and I was experiencing a little bit of self-imposed, you know, like I got to be super consistent until this time because like I want to look a certain way, which, you know, nothing wrong with that, but timelines can fuck you over. But I was talking about that and that wedding was this weekend. It was amazing, had a fabulous time. And I wrote a post about how it's not a bad thing to overeat. People put so much pressure on themselves to never overeat. And by making it such a bad thing, it just, it's like a pendulum swing. You know, the being so good, being so bad. It's like all this guilt and shame that has no reason to exist. You're just inviting that by making it such a bad thing. The thing is, though, again, awareness of how often it's happening. Yeah. And if it's getting in your way. Yeah. That's key. That's key. Mm -hmm. It's not bad that you had, that you went and overate. No, that you enjoyed the wedding. Absolutely. It's not bad at all. 
Um, as a matter of fact, you should. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's one of those things you should do. But it gets cloudy, like you said, when when there's not an awareness of how often that that is happening. And then you're upset with not seeing any results that you want to see. We're talking two opposite ends of a spectrum here. But obviously, the answer is always in the middle. It's a gray area, you know, and and it's not you can't overeat ever. And you can't always overeat either. You know, you you have to find that happy medium that works for you and whatever your goals are. And it's life too, right? I mean, we all overeat. Every single one of us on the face of this earth has overeaten at some point in time in our lives. And it's just part of being alive and trying this and doing these fun things and it's life. And so we can't put overeating in this, oh my God, it's so God awful and it's bad and it's going to ruin everything. No. I mean, you might not feel great after it, but that's okay. I mean, that goes away too. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me, I used to confuse the feeling full after overeating with fat. Like in mm -hmm. my head, it turned from full to fat. There was a switch and it just went like that. It wasn't about being full anymore. Content in the stomach, which is what it was. It was, I am fat. And isn't that interesting how that pops into your head in a split second? It's not even close to being true, but you feel like your stomach's sticking out, you know, you just ate more than you usually do. You're feeling lethargic and, oh my God, I've, I just got fat because I overate today. And I think that's a very real thought for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand that like it's normal to have a slightly larger stomach after you eat a meal. People don't know what it feels like to have food in them. Yeah. Because we're so stuck on the tiny bird meals and the super low calories. It's it's a practice to figure out what satisfied is, what full is, what over full is, and what hungry is. And yeah, it's a trial and error. It is. And it's something that you learn by doing. You know, you don't learn by assuming anything. You you have to learn but in a in a holistic way, you know, it, it's not just about, OK, I'm going to eat like this much and see and see how I feel or see how I look or whatever. It's that. But it, it's also have I been honestly aware with how many times this is happening? Have I weighed and measured food? Am I am I doing all of these things? Right. Because I think it all works together to give you an accurate picture of what's actually going on. Uh, you know, so many people turn to bloat right away. Like that is the the go to no, it's probably just stomach content. Like you have stuff in your stomach right now, you know? Mm -hmm. People confuse bloating with that. I mean, and bloating can overlap with that for sure. But make no mistake, bloating can be something completely separate from you having had a big dinner, you know? Mm -hmm. And your stomach has some some extra steak in it or something or whatever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, after you eat, your stomach sends blood, makes more fluid. It's... I. I one of my soapboxes, I was telling you about my various soapboxes before we recorded, but one of them is like, stop demonizing your body for having the normal reactions to the things you're doing. Yeah. And one of them is that your yeah. stomach is, if your stomach is full, it's going to be a little more full. Yeah. And that's a normal thing. Yeah. Don't, don't be surprised you're angry at it. Absolutely. Yeah. It kind of does what it has to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you want it to do? Not digest your food? Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of that kind of thinking comes from decades, literally, of misinformation and just how life was 40 years ago, very different than it is now. And, and the information that was being thrown out there 
you know, it was it was very different. It was a very different time. And it, there was a lot more black and white. A great example of that was anyone in my generation will understand this. We only knew that if the scale went up, that was bad. If it went down, that was good. That was it. There was no talk about fluctuations. I didn't know what that was until I was in my mid-50s, for God's sakes, you know? And it would have answered so many questions, you know? All we knew was going to the stupid doctor's office and standing on that scale with the big bar going across, and they move the big bar, and then they keep moving that little bar, and they keep going, and they keep going, and, the, and inside you're screaming, stop, you know, stop, mm-hmm. you know? And it was this big thing because you didn't want it to go up because that was a bad thing. And then if it went down... You're like, oh, yeah, you know, and with no education behind that whatsoever. And when you think that for decades, it's going to be hard to get rid of that. And if I'm being really transparent here, it's not gone for me. I know how to handle it better now. That's the big difference. But it's something that um, when I step on the scale and I see it go up, which for me, ironically, we're having this conversation because the last week and a half when I came back from San Diego, I spiked four pounds, which I've never, I don't think I've ever spiked that many pounds. And I was even a little confused, but okay, I know what to do. You know, it didn't ruin my day. I didn't go into a deficit. I didn't, I just got back to eating the foods I normally eat and being here. And sure enough, it starts working its way down. Then it went up again. Then it's, it's worked its way. Now I'm back to where I'm always at. And it's a great lesson, even for me on how this whole thing works, right? Because we think that it's gone up, that's a bad thing. And when it goes up, even for me, I get a kick in the gut. I get that big fat kick in the gut. But the difference now is I don't let it dictate what I do. I don't now think I have to do extra cardio. I don't feel like I have to adjust the number of calories I eat. I don't track them anyway. So I don't know, I eat a little less. I don't do that. I just get back to what I normally do, right? That's the difference. The kick in the gut's still there though. I mean, I'm a human being and 40 years, you don't get rid of 40 years worth of crap in your head in a matter of, you know, four years or any time really. I think it's going to be in your soul forever, but it's just how, how you deal with it. Yeah, that's huge. And something I see a lot is people celebrate the downs and the people that celebrate the downs are the same people who can't handle that kick in the gut when it goes up. Yeah. Yeah. Leaning into that celebration again, it's the pendulum swing. It's like, yay, it's down party time. Then, Oh gosh, it's up. What do I do? And it could be up the very next day, right? Because Yeah, or in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, well, yeah, even within a given day, it's going to be up anyway. But I mean, I totally understand that. And I feel like sometimes, though, there's also people trying to celebrate the whoosh or whatever you want to call it when, when it goes down. Whoosh. I know, right? <laughs> when the scale goes down, they celebrate. But I also don't want to lose sight of the reason why it may have gone down. Like it may Mm -hmm. have gone down because that person had finally been consistent for the first time in their life for a month, you know? And the only thing that they see as a result of that consistency is that one data point, that whoosh, right? Which we know could be up the next day or or whatever. 
And part of that education for that person is let's look at other data points too, not just the scale. And we we all talk about all the different kinds of data points that there are for a journey. And that's why it's so important to include them all, whether it's measurements, whether it's getting that pair of pants that are like your test pair of pants or clothes fitting looser in general, or how are you sleeping? You sleeping better? My God, if you can improve that, you're going to be really in good shape for just about anything. There's so many markers of progress that people choose to ignore because the scale is that one thing that you step on and it gives you a number and we understand it. It's not complicated and it's normally fairly accurate with mm-hmm. the number. It's told me I weigh 130 pounds today. Okay, cool. Today, I weigh 130 pounds. Maybe tomorrow I'll weigh 131 pounds. You know, if I drink this whole thing of water, I'll weigh more than I did this morning. You know, I mean, it's all those things. Part of the education is included in all, all of this using the scale, using measurements, everything. And I know it gets really tough, I think, with people that are so focused on one thing. And it becomes frustrated. I mean, frustrating for everyone, but but especially for them, because they can't let go of that thing, you know? And I think, again, that can stem back for years, too, of being afraid. What advice would you give to somebody trying to let go of that thing? What would you say? This is never an easy thing because everyone's going to handle this differently. But the first thing I say, I think you need to step on the scale every single day for most people. I think there are probably some people that maybe have a big disordered eating past that maybe it's not a great time for them to step on the scale temporarily. But ultimately, I think stepping on the scale every single day, collecting data and watching what happens, you know, obviously saying trying to remove the emotion from it, obviously. But when that emotion starts to kick in, this is what I do. I tell myself to shut the hell up. I have told myself I did that five days ago. I told myself shut the hell up when I spiked four pounds. You know, I still do that. And it sounds kind of, I don't know, woo woo, whatever. I don't know. But I'll tell you, The more you practice telling yourself, you know what? I'm fine. It's fine. It didn't gain four pounds of fat in five (laughs) days or however long I was gone. I know I didn't do that. It's okay. Collect the data. I'm going to just move on and do that and practice that. It's not a one and done. You have to practice that. It gets easier to call yourself out and it gets easier to tell yourself you're doing fine. And it brings us to that analogy that I use about the weight loss car and the passenger that's sitting in the back seat is emotion. When you let emotion drive that weight loss car, emotion's going to tell you to turn left and you're going to go down that long and windy road and you're going to get lost. You're going to have to back up and you're going to have to get back on that main road and keep going, and you're going to be hours behind because you let emotion drive that car. And it's the same thing here. You have to stop letting emotion be the driver of what you do. And it's not easy. Like I said, it's a skill. It's something that you have to practice over and over and over. And when you do that, it can become very effective. You know, it's just a little calming piece that you might need. And then you just get on with your day. And again, like everything else that we've been talking about, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy. No, I struggle with that too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we We all all do. do. (laughs) Yeah. I Mm -hmm. think we all, because we're human and it's okay to feel things. And I think this is a really important point too. It's okay to feel an emotion. Like I don't like it when the scale goes up. 
I mean, how many people on the planet like it? I mean, nobody. And if they say they do, they're probably lying <laughs> unless they're trying to get the scale to go up. Right. And even then they may not be comfortable with it, but nobody likes it. And it's OK to not like it. But it's not OK when you let emotions start driving the car because then you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Amen. The scale is so hard, but I'm glad you mentioned, you know, weighing daily. Because this is my MO and Brooke's MO as well is, you know, more data points, more context. If yeah. you're just weighing once in a blue moon, you you don't have the full picture. You don't know. And you put that weigh-in day on a pedestal that it has no right to be on. And you're just making it harder on yourself to remove the emotion from it because you're anticipating it. Yeah. And then you have to start talking yourself out of doing silly things to affect whatever it's going to say on weigh-in day. Oh, and that's the worst part of it, I think, too, is that you start changing what you do because you have, you have in your head what you think you should be weighing in on on weigh-in day. And if you're not on track mm -hmm. for that or if you don't feel like you've been on track for that, you're going to start manipulating everything that you've done. And now that data point that you get is meaningless because it's it's – you are not establishing any kind of um, sustainable way of living, right? It doesn't give you any meaningful data anymore. And you can miss all the fluctuations. And maybe you are weighing in on a day where you're holding on to some more water for whatever reason and the scale's up. You know, that's not giving you a, a true indication of anything. So once a week drives me nuts. The people that do it once a week drives me crazy, to be honest, because I think they're setting themselves up for a really tough time. And once a month, probably even worse, just because my God, you have one data point. What good is that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, really, <laughs> you're learning nothing about the day to day scale fluctuations, which is ultimately going to be the key for you to sustain everything and be okay with it and get over the fear of stepping on the scale and all the anxiety that might be coming with that. You know, you're, you're making it worse by weighing in less. Yeah, and you start to understand the trends of your body, too. Yeah. Like, oh, PMS is coming down the line. That's the <laughs> coolest part, isn't it? Because I know you mm -hmm. do that. This is what's really cool. I can almost guess with really high certainty, based on what I eat for dinner, especially the night before, how the scale is going to be in the morning, ultimately. And if it's Chinese food, man, you know, it's two pounds right there, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's always, yeah. always for me. But it's fun to learn that about your body. It's fun to learn things that stick with you longer, that take longer for you to digest and how that affects your weigh-ins. I mean, I just think that that's been kind of a cool thing to learn. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the whoosh? Because it drives me insane. Yeah. But for, first of all, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Why does it happen? The whoosh is when you kind of been holding steady at a weight and then finally the scale goes down. So it, I don't know why it really got termed the whoosh, but because it's like the scales whooshing those pounds away or whatever, they're whoosh out of sight. The term I don't like, it adds to the the problem of the whole it thing. hypes it up. Yeah, it hypes it up. It's like this thing. I want to get the whoosh, you know, although I relate to that. I relate to the people who want that. I totally mm -hmm. understand why if I haven't been able to lose weight and I've, I feel like I've done everything. Maybe I haven't, but I feel like I have and I have a genuine frustration and I'm upset and I'm angry all the time that to see all these other people do it and I, what am I doing and I can't get it and I finally get it and how happy that would make me. I get all that. I totally get all that. But what people need to understand is a whoosh, 
It's just letting go of water that you've been holding on to for whatever reason. And you can be holding on to water for all kinds of reasons. Inflammation is a biggie, right? You're Mm -hmm. stressed. Cortisol levels are up. You're going to hold on to water, you know, and it might not even be a stress that is outward, that is obvious, just an internal low level stress that's going on all the time that can make you hold on to water. Different kinds of foods that you eat can make you hold on to water. I mean, there's so many different things. Lifting heavy weights the day before can make you hold on to water because as your muscles start repairing themselves, water's part of that process. So, man, water is kind of the day-to-day thing. And that's why when people get so caught up in the whoosh or I put on a pound or whatever and I was perfect with my nutrition, you know, these daily things are more about water than they are about anything else. And it's hard for people to get that, you know, until you've been through it and you practice it. And it's frustrating to see people celebrate the whoosh. I understand why they do it, though. I get it. I was that person. It's from many, 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 many years of believing certain things. And I think it's all tied into that. That's why weighing daily is such a great tool because you're going to see little bits go up and down all the time, ounces, a pound. Yeah, I stepped on the scale. I'm three pounds lower today than I was yesterday. Are you kidding Mm -hmm. me? No, I'm not. not. And the thing that's really interesting too, because this happened to me while I was in my higher end of the spike, right? I'm at the gym and I'm, and literally I do these conversations with myself all the time. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm up four pounds, which is unusual for me, but okay. But nothing fits me tighter. Matter of fact, I've been probably dropping some fat as a result just of a lot of things, not purposefully, but everything fits me just fine. You know, it's just another thing to look at. But anyway, yeah, the whoosh is one. of It's a frustrating part for me because I understand why people celebrate, but I don't think people truly understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I agree with that because I'll get that where clients will get super excited. They're like, I, I lost like two pounds. And it's like, did you poop? Did you go to the bathroom? Did you have, there's so much that factors into that. Did you have like a lighter carb meal before you went to bed? What what does this look like? And you know, I love that you brought up water because so many of my clients struggle to drink water and it's like, hey, having consistent water intake is going to be helpful as well as, you know, there are certain supplements too that will make you store water. Like I have clients that are doing a muscle building phase and creatine, yeah, will make you retain water. And yeah. they're, you know, at first they get a little freaked out, but it's like once you realize that that's all it is, it sets your mind a little bit free in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just being educated about what's really happening and trying to break through the barriers that are in front of you that are keeping you from learning about this stuff. And I think it's fear, you know, it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. And let me tell you, that's a real thing too. I mean, change, it's change. It's a new thing, right? Change is hard. And trust me, change does not get any easier the older you get. It gets harder. (laughs) So any kind of change. It's so empowering, though. It is. When you learn how to, and it's kind of an art to know how to call yourself out without being a dick to yourself. But like, hey, let's go back to the logic here. Let's take the emotion out of this. What's actually going on? And what do I need to do? Yeah, Yeah. I, I think that's really important because... A lot of people think that they're being, you know, honest with themselves when in reality, you're kind of like, eh, are we really looking at the whole picture? It's almost like, you know, Susan mentioned earlier in this episode, 
it's almost like they just kind of block out the weekend or it's like they block things out like bites, slicks and tastes, the BLTs, you know, little things Mm -hmm. like that. That's, that's one thing that I used to do is I'd be like, Oh, you know, peanut butter sounds good. I go in, get a spoonful of peanut butter, walk it. And then I do it again. I do it several times a day. And then you realize like, Oh, what's actually happening here? And because that peanut butter probably didn't make you feel super full and stuffed in your head, you're thinking, Oh, I haven't eaten that much. But really with all those scoops of peanut butter, yeah, you know, that that's a lot. We all know that's a lot of calories. Yeah. So it's very interesting how when you are trying to be honest with yourself, making sure you're acknowledging everything that you're putting in your mouth, everything that you're doing, you know, whether it's writing it down, whether it's tracking calories, whether it's having a little mini food journal, whatever it is, or pictures, taking pictures. But when people try to be honest with themselves, what I've realized is sometimes they're brutally honest with themselves and you can't beat yourself down expecting to build yourself back up. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that. You have to be gentle with yourself. You have to have compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your best friend? It's like get getting the emotion piece out of that because it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, let's look at it logically. Like what Iris was saying, you know, no, I didn't eat 7,000 calories over my maintenance for four days in a row to get this weight on. I did not do that. So then what else could it be? Well, I ate a bunch of different foods that I don't normally eat. Okay. Understood. Maybe I'm digesting a lot of this. I'm probably holding on to water as a result of all of that too. So there's always ways to, like you were saying, Brooke, talk to yourself without saying, you stupid idiot. What are you talking <laughs> You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so interesting how we do that to ourselves, but yet we would never do that to each other. Right, right. Because like, I look at it this way, like when clients start to beat themselves up, you know, I'm just being accountable. And I'm like, no, honesty without kindness is brutality. You don't need to browbeat yourself into changing or you you don't need to talk down to yourself for just being a human being and eating some food. Like, yep. did it align yep. with your goals? Maybe not. But what would you tell your best friend if they were in that situation? Yeah. That's what I think a lot of people forget is what would you tell your best friend if they're like, oh man, you know, I overate last night. Now I feel like I have to punish myself and go to the gym and burn it all off. You wouldn't agree with that friend and be like, yeah, you know what? You fucked up. You need to, you need to fix this. You're a failure and yeah. you're the worst piece of, yeah. You yeah. would never say that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I think that that's super important, like holding yourself accountable, but making sure that you also are integrating like self-compassion with that too. hundred percent. I love that. Oh, man. Well, I could go for another hour, but I know, (laughs) Susan, you have an appointment, so I'll let you go this time. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, get your book, listen to your podcast. Sure. You can find me on Instagram. It's Susan Niebergall Fitness. Pretty much everything is Susan Niebergall Fitness. Over on YouTube, I have a lot of resources over there. Susan Niebergall Fitness you know, Facebook, Twitter, sometimes whatever on that. Um, <laughs> but I, I have a podcast as well called the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. And I have a book called Fit at Any Age. It's never too late. And it's on Amazon. Yes. And it's a good one. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. It was well, so thank nice you guys to for having you. me. Love you guys so much. Love oh, you. We love you too. And thank you for everything you do. And everything you put out into the world, it is greatly appreciated by us. And I know it is by countless other people as well. Well, thank you. You guys as well. I'm so proud of both of you for what you guys are doing. 
Aw, thank you. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, Two Bitches Talk Fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>